welcome to UX Banter Season 3, where I, Dushyant Kanungo, talk to the leaders in the design field about their journey and what inspires them to be the best. I also touch upon the aspects of the industry such as jobs, trends and challenges to name a few. This podcast is presented by Galaxy UX Studio and powered by Galaxy Weblinks and Inc 5000 company. Hello everyone. This is Dushyant your host for the podcast UX Banter. This is whole new season 3 and you are welcome once again to another episode. which i promise that is going to be as exciting as you have enjoyed uh, the rest of the episode so far and i'd like to thank our sponsors galaxy studio to help us put this podcast out there for all of you to enjoy today's guest to our podcast is a true designer is someone who channelizes his passion for design to help and serve others our guest today is one such designer who is in his 15 years of career has worked on some cutting edge design solutions to help those in need having 3 degrees and a phd under his belt he is a skillful designer researcher developer and a professor ladies and gentlemen please welcome the director of product design at maple carmen branche thanks thanks for uh, inviting me on so welcome to the show and uh, i hope that you are doing all good and uh, all settled with the canadian weather and everything yeah we're getting one more blast of winter right now <laughs> it probably won't be the winter of 22 um, departs yeah. yeah yeah so carmen i mean when going through your profile there are so many things which are so fascinating i mean you are a researcher you've converted you, you did your phd you have a doctorate so how those dots are connected i mean many in the field they actually think about going into academics um, not just about um, just to teach it but also do the research and um, get a phd so how your journey has been like i mean where you started your career what inspired you to become a designer and get to the this point in your career so sure yeah um so i think probably the story uh, starts with technology so i've always been a tech geek even you know as a young kid when i was let's say 30 years ago when i was 10ish um i i ran something called a bbs i don't know if you know what that is it's like a it was like a pre-internet server right as a server people could call in through the phone right so that's where that's where my mind was at while i was a young person so i went to ryerson which is now toronto metropolitan university uh to study computer science because i love technology i love computers and um i even i i took a few programming courses in high school and i and i loved it it was i really took to it so i i started studying computer science and the plan at that point was to become a programmer right to write code um and what happened was about 2 years into my undergraduate um i met a researcher there her name was dr debra fells and so she is a professor at toronto metropolitan and so she hired me um i think in my third year university she hired me as a research assistant to work in her lab so at the time that lab was called the center for learning technology now it's called the inclusive media and design center and what we did at this lab was we used technology to try and um give access to people with disabilities to give them mm-hmm. access to media 
right, to fund stuff. Because a lot of the focus, so accessibility is a big part of product design. And a lot of the focus of accessibility went to sort of the quote important stuff, right? Banking, legal, uh, you know, making sure you can intersect with your government, things like that. But we were like, well, that's not what life is all about, right? Life is about movies and TV and, and culture and sharing with your fellow man. So what we did is we did all sorts of really exciting accessibility projects around media so for example we worked on enhanced closed captioning so for example you've probably seen closed captions and if you've seen a a a horror film right with closed captions you'll notice when the scary music plays it just says scary music plays at the bottom right and that's not very scary so we would we would we tried to use like design and technology to then convey that emotion in another way, right? Through a different mode. Um, so I stayed at this lab, you know, I started working on these projects at, in this lab and the plan again was to just do an undergrad and sort of, and, and bounce. But so I stayed, I did a master's degree there and then I stayed and I did a, a PhD as well. And I'll, I'll just talk to you a little bit about what I, my work that I did for my PhD. So um, I said, we, we did some work in closed captioning right, where we noticed there was a lot of information missing from that caption, right, like, especially things like music, sound effects, right, it's not really properly conveyed, because it'll just say music playing. So what we, we worked on a really exciting project at that lab called the emoji chair. And what that was, so our first attempt was to try and use the visual mode, right? right, to make so if we had a caption that was happy, we would maybe animate it so it seemed happy or something like that. But so now we're gonna do a we're gonna do a different mode. We're gonna do touch, right? Tactile. And right. so what we did is we tried to convey sound through touch, right? So we devised this vibrotactile interface called the emoji chair, which was a chair that you sit in and it had 16 voice coils in it. And then we would pump audio through there and we would filter it. And so that the low parts would go on the butt of the chair and the high parts would go on the, let's say the higher part of the back, right? And so what we were trying to do is convey like sound effects, convey music, convey like, you know, if you're watching a movie and all of a sudden there's a huge explosion, right? And it shocks you, right? We want someone to not to read shocking explosion, they're going to feel a shocking explosion and be shocked, right? <laughs> so they can shake and share the experience like everybody else, right? Um, so what I did in my PhD was I actually, because what we were doing was conveying sound and pumping it through your tactile sense, right? Now, clearly, or obviously, a lot of the sound information we send through your skin is not received right? Because your skin, the fidelity of your, of the sensors in your skin are way lower than in your eardrum, right? So what I did was I created essentially a new system of music um, and a, and a keyboard that plugs into the chair that then only plays frequencies that, and, and note differences that you can feel. Because my idea was, okay, I want to make I want to I want to stay within the domain of the vibrotactile um, uh, capabilities, right? So, for example, what I like your um, 
the frequency range is much smaller on your skin, right? It only, it's from about, like your hearing range goes up to about 20,000 Hertz, where your skin, it's really 2000, up to 2000. And then what happens is you lose all, you, you lose the ability to differentiate when it goes up high. Yeah. So you only have, so on, if you're gonna make a musical system with that small range, you have fewer notes because the other thing too is you have to space the notes much further apart, right? right. Because if I play two notes on the p- piano that are right next to each other and you feel those notes, they'll mm-hmm. feel the same, even though you can hear the difference, right? Yes. Okay, so now, so now I made a keyboard now, because so what that means is you get eight notes, eight frequencies mm-hmm. that you can use. So what I did was then I created eight spots or five different spots on the chair to sort right, of mimic right. octaves, right? So now you could have 200 Hertz playing at your back and 200 Hertz playing on your butt. And they, right. could, they, could, be, they, they could be independent, right? So what I did is I had, I had composers come in and I said, okay, I know you've never seen this before and this is brand new, but I want you to compose a happy song for me, right? And they did, right? They were musicians. They said, okay, let's do it. And then I took those songs and I, and I played them for other people. And I said, okay, you tell me what's the emotion, right? And it turns out you can have a happy and sad vibrotactile song, right? And it, it works as you'd expect, which is the faster the song is and the higher frequency it is, the happier it's perceived. And that's, that's, it makes perfect sense because that's how audio is, right? Usually happy songs are much faster, the tempo's faster, frequencies maybe a little bit higher. Um, so long story is that's kind of where, that's where I ended up kind of in the design area, design research area, right? I started as this programmer, but then went through this lab and learned all this research stuff, all this design stuff, because we were constantly building, designing prototypes and testing them. Right. And so, and then I, so I did a PhD in human factors engineering because it was very, it was related to all the stuff I was doing. And that's what I, that's that keyboard I built as part of that work. So come to the end of the, my PhD, and you know, I guess the plan again, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. That's my favorite quote from Mike Tyson, right? So my plan at that time was to be a professor, right? New plan, but uh, that plan didn't work out so much. And so I got, I got really frustrated with academia actually. So I left, I left and I thought, well, there's this thing now, cause this would have been about 2010 or 11. This is about, 10, 13, 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. So at that time, UX was a newer thing, right? It wasn't really established. Like, so like UX designer wasn't a super common term. It was web designer, right? Was the term. Um, and so UX, UI was just sort of starting to emerge. And I thought, well, geez, I just studied all of this. I'm perfectly aligned for, right for this new thing called UX design. Right. And so I, I, I went out, so I started, I worked with the banks for a couple of years. That was my first kind of professional gig, right? Cause when you're in an academic lab, right? You got all the time in the world, you got no profit motive, right? You can just kind of do whatever you want. But so then I experienced what it's like to work in a bank, right? With big, in a big corporation with big systems. I did that for a number of years. Um, as a UX designer. And then, you know, I sort of moved around about every two years. I wanted to kind of get uh, a sense of everything, you know? So I got, the, I got the big bank experience for about two years. And then I joined a small company 
uh, that make coaching software and I designed for them for a few years and I got that experience. And then I went to go work for Loblaw. So I'm not sure if you know, Loblaw is the biggest retailer in Canada, one of the biggest. And uh, we made, uh, a t- my team, we built the Shoppers Drug Mart mobile app. That's mm-hmm. uh, Shoppers Drug Mart is, uh, it's kind of like Rexall in the US. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge, thousands of uh, pharmacies across the country, retail pharmacies. And so that brings me to, to now. So now I'm at this company called Maple. Mm-hmm. Uh, leading a design team. Um, and what we do at Maple is we connect people to doctors through technology, right? right. So I, I don't know how, well, you're in the US right now. Uh, so we're in, I'm in Canada and we have public health. Okay, public health is great, but it's not perfect. So one of the flaws of public health, at least currently, is I can't find a doctor in my city. So I live in a city called Barrie and my family just moved here about two years ago and I do not have a GP. I can't, I can't find one. They're not available. And the clinics here, the walk-in clinics, they've said, we won't serve you unless you have a GP. It's a cash 22, right? I mean, you don't have a GP. And so basically, even though there is a free healthcare, access to healthcare becomes even more difficult. Exactly. And so I can't, I, you know, for a while I was having trouble and, but Maple, I use Maple, like I work for Maple, but I love the tool because, you know, let's say I have three kids, three young uh, daughters and I have a two-year-old and the two-year-old goes to daycare. So that means she's constantly getting ear, eye infections, right? All sorts of infections. Now imagine this, this the situation that I have to do to get her a prescription for her pink eye, right? Normally I'd have to take time off work, right? Drive her to a clinic, wait in the clinic with other sick people, uh, right? Do all, maybe get the prescription, right? Go to, that's like, it's an all day thing. Whereas Maple, I do it on my couch, right? I do it on my couch. It says, oh, connecting with a doctor now. And then, you know, it says, oh, hey, can you take a picture of the eye and we send it up and met the experience when you're, when you're finished, you're like, holy mackerel, that was amazing. That was so easy, you know? And so that's what really, that's what I like about this, about, I, like, I think you'll, you'll notice a lot of the things I designed for, like you said earlier, are things that at least in theory should help people, right? And this one, I jumped at the opportunity to, to do this because how is, the, you're connecting people with doctors. Right. Like that, that's help uh, as pure as it can be, I think. So while you're doing the product designer, um, in the role, the current role in the product sure. director of product design at Maple. Yeah. Um, it is in, so what are the challenges generally one faces when uh, designing for healthcare? Okay, so one, um, it's a, it's more complicated. So number one is, especially in Canada, there's also, there's rules, there's, re- there's regulations that you have to be aware of, right? That would limit otherwise, like you might come up with a great idea. Right. right. That that makes sense. It's good for the business. It's good for the user. It's good all around. But no, there's a regulation that says, oh, you know, this type of doctor can't prescribe in this jurisdiction. And so it, you're, you're much more limited. Right. The, the some of those solutions to overcome, you know, oh, we're having a shortage. Oh, OK. You know, the designer in me starts thinking, oh, well, let's do X. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's create efficiencies. Let's right. But no, there's rules. Right. And even like recently the government has sort of 
So when COVID was going, um, they were paying. Uh, so we have a single payer system. So the Ontario government is pays doctors, right? And so we have billing codes. So in order to get paid, you need a billing code for a service. So for virtual care, they were paying a certain amount of money. It was uh, like, I think it was about $40 um, a visit, right? But the government has now have that, right? And so that kind of puts us in a, in a tricky spot that now as a designer, we have to figure out, okay, now what? Now what do we do? Now that the government doesn't want to pay for these, uh, pay as much for these things. So we have to come up with even more clever ideas, but then we're limited by those regulations again, right? So it's this constant I, mean, I understand this. I mean, uh, when I was working with uh, Santander back in the day, um, I do realize that they were actually built upon acquiring different uh, banks which are already out there. And that's how they grew. And uh, lots of these banks have their own IT systems on which the entire applications were built. So what happened was that once you have the design solution, you have to sit with a all the teams of the engineering people and they'll tell you that, okay, we cannot fetch this data from such and such bank. So this actually for the, the universal experience, we can't actually put it. Then you have to have the marketing people and the others, but then comes the legal team. And the legal team will go, you can't use that word or this phrase is absolutely a big no-no unless you are inviting a class action lawsuit. And so by the time we actually have to run through with all the departments or so the feasibility checks and the compliances checks and regulations pass by, what we had in the end was something that everybody hated. But there was exactly. no other way. There's no other way to actually get out of what we have come up with. But even, but fortunately, it wasn't so bad because in the end, it was still the best that the bank could offer. And that is not just the handicap of this particular bank, but every other bank was facing something similar. So I do understand the frustration that whenever there is a uh, external body or regulatory body involved. You have yeah. to make sure that certain changes changes are done and everything is amended, and then you are dealing with um, not just the one use case that you're actually setting out to do, but the different users and their needs. And they are there because it is mission critical software for them, be it a banking situation or the solution that you just uh, spoke of. I think it is amazing that you know that sort of a thing actually exists. I mean, if you think about it, a few years back, nobody would imagine that, okay, I can get, uh, just call my doctor and just on a video call, I can get a prescription and a consult. Yeah, exactly. And, and even, you know, you mentioned getting together with the engineers. For some reason, the tech situation in the medical field, like they're, they're, we're still sending around faxes. I don't, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. I don't know if they do this in the US, but the primary, one of the primary channels of communication is a bloody fax machine. That so it goes to the the way you send a far, the way you send a prescription to a pharmacist is you fax it because you know why because email is not secure quote unquote and I'm like faxes aren't secure what are you talking about so Actually, I and who is going to receive it is again going exactly, to be a question exactly exactly so so I just that's just one example but the whole system is like is infested with that sort of oh hey let's use this 20 year old technology that's really awesome and it'll make everything efficient no nope, can't do it why i don't know we just can't right so that's that's a very common thing in in the medical field that i didn't see 
um, in say, like coaching, when I did coaching, there's no regulations about coaching, right? So you just kind of do whatever, not whatever, but it's, you're much more free. Or especially in an academic setting where we're just studying ideas for the sake of studying ideas, right? And there's no real product that has to be released, much more free. Right. Okay. So going going into that direction, I have really important sure. questions to discuss okay. with you when it comes to the academia sure. and the UX and the current market trends. But before I get there, I really like to know more um, the you. I mean, the professional you is quite you know your CV is or resume is something to be uh, the envious of, and I am sure with the experience that you actually bring to the table. So let's go to the fun section and do some rapid fire questioning and see that if we can uh, find who Carmen is. Sure, sure. All set? Yeah, let's do it. So what is the coolest feature in your home that you really love? The coolest feature? Uh -huh. uh, well, it's probably the room I'm in right now which is, uh, so I converted a, so we have a separate garage on the property and I converted it, what used to be a workshop, but I converted it into my office slash music studio slash, I do gardening too. So I have uh, like over here, I have a whole bunch of, I have my seedlings all ready to go. So as soon as the snow melts, they're ready to rock. But I, it's, uh, so like I said already, I have three young girls so it's uh it's kind of an oasis that i can retreat to and uh, do my man stuff in here <laughs> <laughs> so you also use it as a main cave <laughs> oh yeah yeah i got uh i'm a musician so i uh whenever i play i play out here and then the kids can be undisturbed by that so all right so what is your lazy go-to dinner lazy go-to dinner burger and fries Cause I have that whole, I have a very uh, pure way of, you know, I just, it's just, just get the meats, uh, flatten it down, fry it up. And I got a fryer boil, uh, fry up the fries. And uh, that's a good meal about five, 10 minutes. It takes me. Well, it's really <laughs> just waiting for the oil to heat up. That's the longest part. That's the longest. And so yeah. books or movies? You know, a couple years ago, I would have said movies, but uh, man, everything, there's nothing original in Hollywood right now. I think every single movie out right now is a sequel of a previous uh, movie. So maybe yeah. I'll say books right now, because I have been trying to dabble in books a little bit more, a little, little more lately. All right. So here I can uh, recommend a film, RRR. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. Okay. Uh, Bollywood plug. Uh, it's an Indian film and okay. that you might enjoy. And I recently watched All Quite on Western Front, um, the German oh, film. Yeah, that one. I did yeah. see that. That one was, and also uh, 1917 was quite incredible. Same as, same as, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so next one, what is your favorite book then? Any book that you would, you want everybody to read? Okay. You know what? I'll give you a designy one. That's uh, a little less cliche you know because everyone says oh you know uh emotional design don norman all those books but i read this book by a guy named golden krishna first of all awesome name um but that so he wrote a book called the best interface is no interface and um i don't have it in my bookshelf because i don't i can't find a paper paper copy of it uh, you should be able to find an ebook but what it is is he talks about how as designers 
um, you know, we get it, you know, that when you're a hammer, everything seems like a nail, right? And as designers, <laughs> especially, especially visual designers and UI designers, right? Every time there's a problem, we're like, hey, let's make a UI, right? But his whole, the whole thesis in the book is, no, actually, a lot of times, like he brings up an example of the Mercedes-Benz app, right? That opens up the car door. And he says, you have to open, imagine you're walking to the car with groceries in your hand. You got to get the app out, open it, log into the phone, log into the app, find the door unlock, then unlock it, right? He's like, no, 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 that's terrible. It should just know that you're there and it should unlock, right? So I hide, that's a book I highly recommend all designers check out. Cool. All right. And what is the one thing you wish you have enjoyed more? I wish I enjoyed more. Yeah, I think, you know what, I think uh, I'll give sort of, maybe this is a cop-out answer, but kind of, I think everything. <laughs> like, I think, you know, in, I saw this good meme once where it was like, you know, when I was in elementary school, I, I was dying to get into high school. When I was in high school, I was dying to get into college. When I was in college, I was dying to start my first job, right? When I had my first job, I was dying to whatever, do the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. But I think, I wish I had just, you know, sometimes just, you gotta sit back and smell the roses a little bit, you know, and not always worry about the next thing and just kind of live in the moment a little bit. I, I think I, I did far too much forward thinking. And I'd say, looking back, I wish I'd done a little more, I don't know, shoegazing maybe. <laughs> <laughs> So did you have a nickname while growing up, uh, maybe in the college, universities, anywhere? No, I was never really a nickname guy. No. All I right. think my name is so unique that maybe uh, uh, people didn't see the need for it. I don't know. I don't know. You're just car, man. That's it. That's it. I want to know. Do you think you would make a good spy? A spy? Oh, no, 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 no. I, uh, so I'm Italian. I'm half Italian. I wear my emotions on my sleeve, right? I cannot hide my emotions at all. If, if you said something I think is wrong, you'll know it. My face is going to show it. So, <laughs> no, I'd be a terrible spy. <laughs> right. So, well, that was uh, quite a bit of a, you know, quite a few things that we actually gone through there. And I think it's, it's, this is where uh, we can actually go back to uh, the academia and the you know designing in theory part. So I yeah. did my graduation from uh, Bristol in UK, mm -hmm. and it was, it was uh, with the designing a lot of the stuff and the procedures that they actually teach you about getting those sign-offs and waivers and you know getting consent forms okay and the documentation is too much. In real world, there is hardly. Um, you get very limited opportunity to actually go or do things in the UX research by the book. But that actually changes a lot of the places that whenever you are designing something or trying to practice your profession, it's, it's never going to be the same as they are actually teaching in academia. So current trends as they stand right now, everybody is talking about chat GPT, everybody is talking about AI and UX. So what is the current scene in the academia about artificial intelligence and design i can't i can't uh, i don't know too much about the like the official kind of thought in academia around ai i i do see um 
you know, I see a lot in the field. There's a lot of concern over AI. I think a lot of people are worried about unemployment, right? Especially, uh, you know, people that wouldn't traditionally be worried about that are, you know, there's that petition going, there's a few petitions going around. I know Elon Musk started one where he's like, hey, we got a we got to pause on this for six months. And, you know, I've seen some of my colleagues post up on LinkedIn. Hey, I just signed this. So I think UX is feeling they're a little bit nervous. They're, they're nervous, right, about it. And um, I don't know, I'm, I'm taking a pretty optimistic uh, approach to, to, um, to AI, especially like even this newest version, you know, I think because I was a technologist, right? I kind of know about technology. And I, I look at, so look at when Excel, when, what was the first version of Excel called? It was called uh, Lotus 123 or something like that, right? When that first came out, probably a lot of accountants were very scared, right? They were like, man, this is gonna, I'm gonna lose my job. But I think what happened is instead of there being fewer accountants, what happened was there was more accounting way more like now we're doing 100 times the accounting and we still need those accountants right and so like let me let me give you an example is i think with with chat gbt we're going to do more ux we're going to do more research right because now so i work for a pretty small company we don't have a huge team we don't have dedicated researchers but you know what i did the other day is i took interview transcripts right and I put it into chat GBT and I said, extract themes for me. And it did. Right. Wow. And they were pretty good. And, but like, it's still now I'm going to have to look through it. I'm going to have to double check and sort of make sure it's, it's on, it's on track, but that's something. So that's leveraged me up that, that allows me to do way, way more research, right. Way more analysis than I ever could before. And I, it, I it's not like there's a lack of, of stuff to research right it's gonna we're gonna fill that up very quickly you know that's an amazing use case that you just said i mean giving yeah. by the example there was i saw this photo in 1988 uh, teachers protesting against the use of calculators in school um, but you know uh, it happened then uh, there was in India, back in the early 80s when or mid 80s when they decided to bring on computers, there was huge protest that people are will, will be unemployed and we do, should not get computers to the country and it is going to be bad for the economy. Now look at India, the largest soft power in the world. I mean, without software, where we would be, I mean, without computers, there was no way for India to be uh, where it has actually reached. So I think same thing is here, but I completely get on with what you're just saying that on the design side, any consumer who is actually sitting and consuming the design of the product or the service that you're offering, there has to be a human touch. I was looking at this uh, Galileo.ai. Um, what they are doing is that if on the command prompt, you write down that I need a login screen with these editable fields, it will give you a Figma output perfectly aligned and designed. But then if you think about it, you have to take that file, put it in a design system because all the layers will be different from one another. Yeah. And then somebody has to feed the information that what do you want? Because it is always going to be garbage in, garbage out. They right. can do the generative AI for you, but what to generate, it's still going to be that human input based on which 
they are going to generate the output. But I think you provided one of the best possible use cases about um, getting your, so you have done a user testing session on your product, just get the transcript, feed it to the system and get the summary. I think that is amazing way of using AI. I think people misunderstand what the important part of your job is, right? Because I think when designers, right, designers are solving problems. That's, that's our job, right? And we do that by drawing things in Figma, let's say, usually, right? But the Figma drawing part is not the value. It's the solving part that's the value, right? It's just that's what we have to do right now to get to the goal, right? Absolutely. So, so I think people think, oh, no, they're taking away my drawing from me. So I'm done as a designer. But I'm like, no, that's the boring part. Or who wants to go through figmas and like, you know, adjust borders or whatever? That's I don't want to do that. I want to solve problems and just tell some AI, hey, AI, fix all the padding. And it fixes it. Right. That's we want to we want to focus on. I like to solve like human problems. Right. You mentioned the calculator. I don't I don't know what 13 times 15 is. I wouldn't trust it myself to do it, right? And I don't care really. I wanna use the calculator to build a rocket to get to the moon. I don't wanna do math, right? I, but I, I have to do math if I wanna build the rocket, right? You see that? And so people, they, they, what they mistakenly believe is people want the cow, not the milk, right? People want milk, so. We just have to remember that. And I think, I think we're going to be fine. I think uh, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. <laughs> Not wanting cow, but the milk. Wow. Right. That's... <laughs> no? Yeah. Fantastic. Um, right. So this is, this is where, again, I have to uh, come to you and ask about the current um, way in which academia and UX are entangled. How does it mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, are they updating any rules and the way they are actually seeing or the confusion that people generally have about what is product design, what is user experience design, the perception of it. So how are you justifying it or differentiating it for anybody? So I think UX and academia, so academia is definitely tr trying because so when I went through academia, there was no thing called UX, right? So I kind of, I did the pieces, but sort of on my own. And so now, now, for example, like I taught at a university in Ontario called Wilfrid Laurier as in, in their UX design program, like they have a specific program. Another thing they're doing is a lot of the university, like the University of Toronto, which is a big graduate school. It's a top 20 graduate school in the world. Or like, uh, like I, so I developed a course for York University for their certificate. So a lot of them, what they're doing is they're doing these kind of like they're not boot camp, but in the style of like continuing education, where it's, um, you know, it's not part of a degree or diploma program. It's just these certificates. Mm -hmm. So that's what they're doing. And I think the, you know, the theoretical part is good and hasn't really changed much, really. Like a lot of the theory and stuff comes out of like the 50s. You know, like Paul Fitz and stuff working working in World War Two uh, bombers and stuff. A lot of that comes from that work, human factors engineering, uh, like Fitz's law. Have you ever heard of Fitz's law? That's yeah. that's Paul Fitz, right? So 
Um, so a lot of that theory is really solid and they do a good job of that. And I also think people should know the theory, right? But what they don't do a great job with is the reality of real problems in a business sense, right? Like, you know, you always do a project, you do, let's say you do a UX course, you always do like a perfectly end to end product, right? It's a brand new thing. There's no conflicts. There's no like weird integrations. There's no, you know, all the typical stuff you'd experience in, in the real world. And so one thing, you know, I was thinking the other day, what I would, what I would love to do if I get, maybe I get back into academia, or even I've been talking to some profs, even just to guest speak at, in a class is, um, have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, right. So, you know, that, you know, like in that game, you sort of, there's a dungeon master, right? right? right. And there, what the dungeon master does is sort of simulates the world. Right. And so I think there's room for dungeon dungeons and dragons style practice for UX students. So let me give you an example. So what I would do is, and you know, I actually stole this idea from a psych professor I had when I was doing my PhD. So what he did was he was going to tell us about this uh, a, a case study, a psychological case study. And he said, so instead of me just telling you, you're going to explore the case study with me, right? You need to ask questions. You need to figure it out yourself and I will tell you the answers, right? So the case was about this uh this guy in france in the 1820s and he could he was in an insane asylum and he could only say tan 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 he could only say tan so that's that's all he told us the professor right and then he's like okay ask me questions and i was like oh wow this is so engaging so i said okay can he answer can he follow instructions yes he can follow instructions oh okay that's interesting can you know and then you follow the case and I, so what i think is missing in ux is that exact thing but for a ux problem so for example you'd say okay i'm i'm in this company x we have a conversion flow in our checkout and um, conversion right now is 15% and we want it to be 20 okay go right and so now the class is going to ask me questions right probe start like okay so they're going to say well can we look in the data? Can we see what is the what's the data analytics showing us about where people are dropping off? Oh, that's great. And I'll reach in as the dungeon master. Here's the data for you, right? Because I think what in school, like you're limited in time when you're in a class, right? You only have three, what, four, three, four months, right? So a lot of these UX problems, it takes that like that is a two week endeavor. And so you, we have to figure out a way how to simulate and practice, right? Because uh, I find that's, that's what's really missing in UX education is practice, right? Because universities do theory. They're really good at theory, right? Like physical theory, chemistry, but design is a practice, right? It's like being a musician. You can know about all the music theory in the world, but does that make you a good musician? Probably not. In fact, most music teachers I know aren't, aren't very good at playing music, right? Because it's, it's a different skill set. So that's what I'm saying is we need designers need to practice, 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 practice. And I think they do get a little bit of it with the class projects and stuff. But I feel ultimately it's it lacks that realism, you know, and that uh, I don't know, just that that 
that sense of exploration and being a detective and um yeah so that's that's where i think uh academia and ux is right i think it is one thing that you know we were talking and then you said that you uh, also provide uh, coaching to up-and-coming designers or people yep. who are starting in the industry and you do the coaching and mentoring sessions so um, what about that what what sort of uh, the uh, planned coaching that you actually provide yeah so um, I've just started actually I just started with a, with a few folks uh, mostly they're juniors who are either, you know, looking for a new position or like one person I'm talking to right now is they're, they're, they're a little bit worried about where their company's going. So maybe they, they're looking for the next phase. So they want to beef up their resume, beef up their portfolio, right? As someone like I do hiring so I can speak to designers as, you know, what's my perspective when I get your resume in front of me, right? I, I take them through that. And basically, you know, like I said, I was a teacher for a long time at universities and stuff, and I love doing that, but I got a little frustrated with the constraints of that. And so I just want to continue that uh, and doing that on my own and still helping, you know, I love to help people, especially, you know, getting a, a junior person started up in their career is, uh, is super rewarding. So uh, definitely, definitely going to be doing more of that in the future. So that is something really exciting. And people who are watching this or listening to it, the email address is cbranjay at gmail.com um, mm -hmm. on which you can actually get in touch with Carmen. Yeah. Also on LinkedIn with the same name as this podcast um, have uh, in the URL. Also, uh, the email address cbranjay is also uh, available in the description of this podcast. So if you are interested in getting in touch with him, I bet there is tons to learn and explore the ideas that he has to offer. So I think I, this was this has been a productive conversation, um, Carmen. And I, I believe that it doesn't matter which part of the world that you are living in, which country you reside in, the most of the values that remain intact about the user experience and human connections, they are always hold true. And uh, the similar sort of sentiment that actually run throughout the course of humanity. I mean, it doesn't matter if you live in Asia, Europe, Africa, America, there, there is always, uh, there is the connection that actually brings us all uh, together. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you very much for uh, joining uh, this podcast. I thank you uh, from my heart. And with all the listeners out there, thank you very much for joining in and stay tuned for the new episodes next week. All right. Have a wonderful day ahead. Thanks. Bye-bye.